What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Lee 2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B. I'm your friendly neighborhood growth marketer and host, Lee Moskowitz. I am so excited today to introduce Bianca Anderson to the podcast with a background spanning both in-house and agency SEO. Bianca has become a driving force of innovation at HubSpot. Her approach is both humble and impactful, navigating significant algorithm changes with ease and spearheading the creation of HubSpot's EEAT playbook. In her role as project manager of the Blog Insights Report, Bianca plays a pivotal role, influencing 90% of all published or updated blog content. Beyond projects, she leads training initiatives and facilitates team scalability with an authentic passion that sets her apart. Plus, Bianca and I used to be coworkers, so get ready for an extra fun episode of Lee to Be. Hey, Bianca. <laughs> hey, Lee. <laughs> I'm so excited you're here. Long time no see. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's so nice to reunite. I was always so impressed by by you when we worked together. I know we had a couple of accounts that we were both on during my time in the agency world. And so it's so nice to to reconnect. Yeah, really. Like you were such an SEO powerhouse, like when we always worked together. I remember when the for like the day I learned like it was HubSpot, you got <laughs> I was so excited. So I am so excited to dive in. We'll we'll trade war stories about agency life uh, later yeah. on, but before we even even get to HubSpot and that stuff, I remember if I remember correctly, you got your SEO start in the planetarium space. Yeah. Is that correct? Tell us about that because that's so fun. Yes, yeah. My first real taste of SEO was at the Adler Planetarium here in Chicago. I am a huge space fan. I still like. I've always been one since I was a kid. So that was truly at the time like very much a dream job. My official title was digital marketing specialist. So I got to wear a lot of different hats at the start of that role. I uh, did a lot of email marketing, so external communications to members and patrons of the planetarium, but. At the time that I started that role, there was also a relatively new blog called The Adler Scope. And so that naturally opened a path for me to start creating content for that new property. And so the the first iterations of the content that I added to The Adler Scope were not data-driven, were not SEO best practices. It was just all about vibes and me splurging and indulging in whatever I wanted to talk about in regards to space and astronomy. But after a few months of doing that, doing going the vibes approach, started to kind of get a nice, my, my manager at the time thought that there was a good pathway for SEO. And so that's when the data-driven approach to content creation started. My first rounds, keyword research took place, got to audit the blog and and fix a lot of technical issues. And that, that was a really, that yeah, I a lot of the content that I wrote during that time was was a lot of fun, lighthearted things to this day. My proudest article is on Chicago Hinge. Uh, it's it's currently <laughs> ranking, I think, it, it, it hovers between position one and two, but it's Chicago it's Hinge. It's still like, there too? It's yes. still ranking there? Damn. Yeah. Well, well, what's awesome about that article is the, the team at, at Adler, they update it as like in, in a really good cadence, which is perfect for content. Like you need to constantly, you know, with SEO, it's not a set it and forget it thing. So with that article... It covers a like astronomical event that takes place a couple times a year here in Chicago. Okay. So okay. every time that happens, 
They is that wait? Hold on. I'm not from Chicago. So is that like New York has a thing where like the sun is in between two buildings yes. and like a certain? Is it the same thing or is this completely okay? Exact same right. thing. Exact same thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I so I'm super like we'll talk about HubSpot like I said, but yeah. like so Planetarium like how do you like uh, I'm trying to figure out the question. So like I feel like you're doing localization because you want not just everybody but like people who will actually visit and like are in chicago but then you're also writing about like just space and stars and like i know this was a while ago so how did you combine like getting high rankings with like the localization effect so you weren't just like driving traffic but like people who would actually visit yes so with the adler scope it was an interesting case because although the Adler is very much a local museum and we want to get local visitors. With the Adler scope, it was more, at least at the time that I was there, kind of a brand slash mission play where the goal wasn't necessarily driving visitors, at least not as a top goal. It was more so just awareness, brand awareness mm-hmm. and getting people, like just positioning the Adler as this place for learning and and whatnot. So a lot of the goals while I was there were not focused on, surprisingly, localization. They were focused wow, on okay. generating that awareness and, and getting visitors to the, the blog. Um, again, it was a relatively new space, pun intended, while I was there. <laughs> and so... But that and, has to be so hard, I feel like, because I feel like you're then competing with like NASA. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but like NASA, all these scientists, like how did how did you do that? Well... For one, the Adler, I think, benefited from, it does have some nice domain authority. So it was able to rank for some more competitive terms like Chicago Hinge, like more niche terms like Cosmic Voids and things like that. So I think the Adler benefited from having a higher domain authority. And it is a very, like the the, the organization itself has been so longstanding that I think it did allow for us to rank for a lot of those terms in spite of some of the fierce competition that was going on. Cool. That that I I just love these use cases because the I want to say the more obscure or interesting ones that we all kind of start out with, like they're so fun and like you have to think of things that isn't textbook. And I feel like that just helps so much as you grow in your career on those things. So I just love stories like that. Plus Planetorium is cool as fuck. Yes, love planetariums. <laughs> So I do. So let's touch on HubSpot. What is the EEAT playbook that I I mentioned that you've been leading? This was done as a result of what we were seeing on a macro level, right around the time that ChatGPT was announced that it was open to the public. Google um, added an additional letter to its EAT acronym. So it was originally just expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. That extra E experience, I think uh, the the, the telltale signs were there that it was definitely at least partially related to what we were seeing with AI and what was to come with AI, like being able to have lots of scaled content that might not be of great quality, but you're still being able to scale the content because you're heavily relying on an AI tool. So I think that was partially Google's response to that, seeing what was to come. We had a, so, and then the March core update happens really had some notable impacts on our website. And through an analysis of of that, determined that one of the things that could benefit was how we approached content. So like one of the things that could potentially be a lever to help curtail some of those negative effects was our approach to content. And so the EAT playbook is a set of plays that are meant to ladder up to what Google 
was saying or is saying is important within the context of experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. This is a an acronym, a fun acronym that sits within its quality rater guidelines, which is really cool. I think Google contracts over 16,000 people to actually look at content and, and let them know if the algorithm updates are running, whether or not they're working. So these plays consisted of things like changing our approach to content writing. So we coined a new term called productive perspectives, where we encourage our blog writers to really, when, when feasible, inject their personal experience, um, professional anecdotes into the content that they're writing as a value play. We also, in the, the playbook, proposed changing how or who writes content, who writes what content. So instead of having writers write a wide range of content, we are having them focus on particular topic clusters that they are most experienced in. So this playbook was was launched in, in May. And since then we have, it's been one of our core plays moving into 2024 and what we think is going to move the needle in, in, in garnering more traffic and garnering better leads. And we have just started to, so this, the rollout of this playbook started in May. The, 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 the official impact of how we approach content started in October. And so we're just now starting to get the data on how these updates are taking place. And while the sample size is really small, the results have been really promising. So it's been, it's been really exciting. That's freaking cool and sounds like a lot of work. So one, so you say E-E-A-T, you don't say double E, right? You know, for people? I, I like, it just depends on the day. Sometimes I I'm can't like, do e double E. I, I can't do double E. Like E-E-A-T sounds like a mouthful, but I just can't do double E. I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's an acquired taste, pun intended again. Because you're eating. So you've always been really good at keeping track of all the algorithm updates. I remember when we worked together, we'd have all the spreadsheets for all the clients with like algorithm changes and stuff like that. But when something like like generative AI and ChatGPT, and when Google adds an extra E to their yeah. to their policies, how do you want stay informed and then kind of be the expert on that while this stuff just came out? I have, a, I have a few sources. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. I, I, we both are. I love seeing your posts. There's a lot of SEOs that I follow that really have a pulse on changes. The shining example of this is Lily Ray. I'm a huge fangirl of Lily Ray's. She has just spearheaded EAT. We're back when it was EAT. Now she's spearheading EEAT. And I think a lot of the predictions she's made have proven have come to fruition. So I love following her. She's done some really exciting analyses regarding the most recent algo updates that help keep me informed. So keeping a pulse on just like what the community is saying at large is really helpful. I love SEO Roundtable. Barry Schwartz does a really good job. Every time there is even a hint or a breath of a potential algorithm update, he is on it. So that helps me a lot. I also look at third-party serve volatility trackers, the main one being Rank Ranger, although they were recently bought out by, I think it was SimilarWeb. It's, it, it's this really cool graph that's updated, and it contains like 10,000 plus domains and tracks the behavior of their rankings to see, to, to get a kind of pulse on, on what volatility is like. So when we see spikes in volatility with tools like that, that gives us a hint that maybe there's something more going on. So I would say it's like a mixed bag. Love just social media helps and love SEO Roundtable and, and following industry leaders like Lily Ray, Barry Schwartz, et cetera. So if I, if I were not to read the entire EEAT playbook, if I were not yeah. to read the entire thing, 
but I still wanted to to maybe learn something. What would you say would be some of the most important take? First of all, everyone should read the full thing. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> if I weren't to read the full thing, like, what's something you still think people should know about? I think mm, I think the undertone of the EEAT playbook here at HubSpot was to push for more empowering, but for empowering editorial writers more. With the the handoff process, you know, if if you work in an organization like HubSpot where there is a ton of respect for SEO, there's an understanding of the value it adds. A lot of times, uh, but with HubSpot, the process is SEOs create the briefs, and then there's a handoff that takes place for the editorial team, and then they flush that out, build out the the actual articles. With the EAT playbook, it's trying to one of the one of the goals is to bridge that gap more so that. When the handoff happens, editorial writers feel empowered to not only take into account the insights that are proposed in those SEO briefs, but they're also injecting their own insights into the article that they're writing. They're also injecting their own professional anecdotes and expertise. So I think with this update or with these series of updates that we've been inundated with, it's so important for editorial writers to be empowered and for them to have that show in the in the in the articles that they're writing. So I think that like i think that's the main takeaway is it's 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 becoming more of an art i think so like seo is starting to become more of an art as we move into this age of like ai and scaled content and whatnot that's a that's a good statement seo is i feel like there's always been that art but yeah it's definitely been more sciencing now i think that e like a really great summary is what you said it's becoming more of an art with that extra e Mm -hmm. a lot of it from what i see is is getting more like actual subject matter experts to just give you the information because one it's easier to write the blog post they they'll write it like really good points and that one makes your blog so much stronger but it also it helps you answer the questions you need for the featured snippet or the headlines but but it's hard now pero pero it's hard now to identify real subject matter experts yeah because if you put out a, a query like a help a business writer or a harrow whatever they're turning into you'll get and this is kind of always the case but now with gpt you'll get so many shit responses from people who just went to gpt put that in and then sent it to you and like editorial editors know this editorial knows this how do you identify real subject matter experts though that's a good question. Within the context of HubSpot, we have kind of like that firsthand knowledge because a lot of these writers we've worked with for a very long time. We know what industries they've stemmed from. We know what they've written about typically. And so we can segue them into particular buckets based off of that firsthand knowledge. As a reader, like as a reader of a, of a web page, I think that's when it becomes really important to have really well-optimized author pages if you're if you're an aspiring subject matter expert, you need to find ways to give yourself legitimate street cred. So find publications that are within the industry you want to be known as a subject matter expert in and just start to build that portfolio of of things that can can be linked back to you to say I'm I'm the real deal like this is yeah. just, you know, I think yeah, anything to give street cred. But yeah, it helps out HubSpot knowing that a lot of these writers, like the, just the firsthand history or lore of these writers and, and how they came to them. 
one of the best things you can do as an SEO is just become friendly with writers, network with writers, be nice to them, and then give them what they need and ask for more. So like that, like that's how I got backlinks. I know that's how you got backlinks. It's you, you engage with these writers and then you give them what they want. Yeah. And that's key to it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I think that's again, the whole art thing comes into play like this is you're dealing with humans that like it i when i one of the mistakes i think i made early on in my career was it's it's easy to get detached from your work in a way and it, 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 like forget that the content that you're writing is ultimately not for google it's for a human being so there is very much a human element a relationship-esque element to this type of thing and yes as an seo writers we need them so much you know you can have the best strategy but if the the copy isn't solid or if they don't they don't have you know it's just so important they're so imperative to the whole process i'm gonna keep saying the art thing i think this is just more more proof why seo is now an art because it isn't writing for the algorithm and it Mm -hmm. isn't writing for people it's it's both it's finding that medium it's finding how people search for things yeah how they talk about it and then writing it in in the way that also works for for Google and the algorithm or Bing, if, if that's your thing. Yes. <laughs> Go Bing. <laughs> so we, we should also talk about the blog insights report. Tell yeah. our listeners a little about that and what you, your work has been on there. Yes. So the blog insights report is this very important deliverable. It's essentially a collection of SEO briefs. We do this on a monthly cycle. So at the end of at the beginning of the month, we start a new burr. We're currently working on the February burr. Yeah, it consists of briefs that get shipped off by the end of each month, like clockwork, to the editorial team. These briefs contain a ton of information from the very basic, like keyword data, MSV, keyword difficulty, how many, if it's an update post, we, we like to denote how many keywords the article's already ranking for, because there has been work done before I came here that showed uh, when articles rank for 800 plus keywords, you have to take a lot of great care when updating them, because it it's they 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 can become more susceptible to to larger drops because of just how many keywords they're ranking for. So we we have that information, and then we have a now we're currently in the process of revamping the whole thing, but we have several other fields that denote secondary keywords, potential subheadings that we want to include in the new version. We are now going to include a new field that we're really excited about called strategic vision, and that's going to be just a sum a summary of what we're seeing on the search engine results pages, like what are competitors doing? What do we think we need to do to differentiate our content from the competitors and any other information that we think is pertinent to give to the editorial team and thus empower writers to make informed decisions as they are writing these topics. So yeah, the the Burr is just an amazing vehicle for sending off so many briefs um, at a time to the blog team. It's been a really fun time being project manager for it. I've it's been over, I would say, like almost a year and a half now that I've been the project manager for this. And it's just, it's gone through a lot of iterations. We are definitely adapting it to the times. Yeah, so that's that's a TLDR on the, the burst. That is, that is amazing. I think that's one thing, and I don't want to speak for you, but like on the agency level, we don't necessarily get to see that long lasting projects coming yeah. to fruition since yeah. we're always moving. So I have to imagine that is so awesome to really see that come to life and be a part of that. 
Yes. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like that was why um, I made the decision to switch over into the in-house world. Agency life, there are so many pros. You get to get your hands on a plethora of different clients with within a wide range of industries. And that is amazing experience. You and I would literally go from a call about like hip doctors to drone solar power things. Like that's what we would do. Yes. So like you just get, yeah, you hit it on the head like that. You get that great wide range of experience, but downsides is there is that you don't tend to see those long-term projects come to fruition. And yes, it's been a very rewarding thing, especially with the EAT playbook. Like it's still in the pro, like the early stages of just like mobilization and, and, and implementing it all. But we are starting to get data in, and the data so far is really promising. And that has been that's so rewarding. So yes, agreed. So this one's more career advice, but you are someone who has done such an exceptional job elevating your your career in SEO and then building upon all the skills you're learning. So I am curious, what is something or some things that you would give as advice to people looking to level up their SEO skills or or enhance their SEO career? I would say it's very easy to kind of fall into this, like, I need to research more. I need to read up more on this industry before really diving in. And I've been guilty of that. And I still fall into that trap sometimes with, with new things that I learn. But I think the best way to learn SEO is to just do it. And the caveat there is you got to do it, but you also have to be comfortable with failing because it's going to happen. You're going to have blunders that you look back on when, you, when you're more well-versed in SEO and you're going to be mm-hmm. like, what was I thinking with that? And that is par for course. It's not a sign that you're not meant to like continue that career. You just have to manage your own expectations of what it's going to look like to learn this because there's so many factors that are involved. There's so many facets that are that you, that you can consider when you're doing SEO. So just diving in and being okay with having your ego bruised on a daily basis, I think is a nice... Yeah, you can, if you don't have thick skin and if your ego isn't going to be... Like you, you just can't work in marketing. No. <laughs> like that, that's kind of it. It's like we, we all like self-deprecate in marketing because like we, we know we need to fail. A sales too, but yeah. like marketing especially, it's all about learning by doing, like you said. Well, it's time for our next segment, Spill the Tea with Lee. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. Okay, so we used to work together, Bianca. Tell me your your first impressions or a memorable story about me, and take your time to to think of this. Honestly, like, truly, I'm I'm not just like, I'm not just like blowing smoke up, okay? But like, I was just always very impressed by how how calm and collected and almost like I, I mean this in the best way like stoic you appeared in client calls no matter what type of curveballs were thrown at you you always just like took time to digest them and you always had just like a good solid answer um, and it was never bs it was like truly grounded in, in in reality so i always really respected that about you and the most memorable moment. I, I might be, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but I know we were on a call. I was account managing for this firm and you had literally, I feel like you had just started a paid campaign with them on search and already like within like the first few weeks, they got their highest potential lead to date. 
And I yeah. swear the client was almost driven to tears. Like, I was like, wow, now that is just a beautiful moment. Like, <laughs> they were such nice people, too, th- those clients. They were a they, lot of work, though. <laughs> I know. They were so sweet. They were just like the sweetest. Oh, like, yeah. I, I just remember always being like, okay, SEO is on it. Like, can I get Bianca on my, on my team if, if, if it's going to be like that? Yeah, and I, I always just remember, like, again, like, we would work on so many different things. Like I said, hip doctors to community solar to drone-powered yeah. stuff to, like, local health people. Like, And you just always had, like, oh, I, I got this backlink on this really cool thing. Or they got them on WebMDB. And you never, you, like, were always just like, oh, this happened. You weren't just like, hey, guys, look what I did. I'm like, okay, I want everyone to be like, hey, guys, look what Bianca did. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, so next question on, on Spill the Tea with Lee. So HubSpot is such a big player. And, like, they're, they have such high authority domain. Like, like, what I'm asking is, like, I kind of feel like they can just, like, shit out a blog post and yeah. put it up and you guys will rank. I'm <laughs> sure I'm wrong. And I want you to tell me. But, like, when, when companies are so big like that yeah. and have such content powerhouses and have that domain authority... Like, it is easier for them to rank, but, like, how, how what, what is it like? Tell me, just respond. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, no, I know. I totally get what you're saying. And there is maybe a nugget, there's a nugget of truth there in, in years, in months, like, in years prior. Before, I, I, like, I have been viewing things as kind of, like, pre-March core update and post. Yeah, having, you know, I'm going to quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, but like have it with great power comes great responsibility. And I think HubSpot has always done a good job with that responsibility piece, like knowing that, yes, we like the domain authority can take you far and, and give you like a bit of a push when it comes to rankings. But you cannot rely on that because it's not it's not really a sustainable model because eventually like anything, anything in SEO that's not necessary, that's kind of like in the gray hat, black, like, you know, area it's not sustainable. And so I think there's always been great care into ensuring that the quality of content is there. With the March core update, I, I, we were definitely hit. And I think it was just, it was a reminder that in the past, maybe, you know, the domain authority helped a lot more. And I think it just doesn't have as much weight post March core update, at least for us. And so having a revamp in how we approach the quality of our content not, and I, I want to emphasize that it was never, the quality was never horrible. It was always really good. Real, like I. Yeah, and like I'm kind of being facetious here because HubSpot stuff is always quality oh, content. It's, it's more so like, good. what if? What if we didn't? Like, what if someone evil got in charge and yeah, Elon Musk was involved? Let's rank for <laughs> hedgehogs. Or, I don't know, like, <laughs> no, the good news is like, yeah, there's a very, there's a very uh, judicious and um, ethical people at HubSpot. Like, yes. So I think the bar for quality has gotten significantly higher and we are, we're, we're pivoting and we're adjusting to that. And the results again, very early are promising. And so yes, domain authority is important, but you cannot rely on that because it's not a sustainable model. Your content has to be good. Like point blank. One, one other thing I definitely wanted to ask on featured snippets and I'll have you give the definition of that before you go into the answer because you'll do it better. But some people view it as, well, they're not coming to my site, so I'm not going to get the traffic. Other people are like, yeah, but we're top of search. What's your What's your take on, on featured snippets and optimizing around them? My take is that it's a necessary evil. As an SEO, do I love them? No. 
I don't, but I understand that it's a pro like Google's goal is to have such good search experiences that users don't even have to go into, you know, publishing sites or whatever. So yeah, I think it's definitely something you need to optimize for as an SEO. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing. I call them, <laughs> I call them like embellishments on the search uh, engine results page, but they're necessary, they're necessary evil. And I think they, they can drive awareness and it's good to have that visibility, but yeah, I mean, you got to optimize for them, but I prefer, I prefer them if they weren't there, but I understand that why they are. And yes. And for our non SEOs listening, the featured snippets are the like little question type drop downs like that you'll see in, in Google's search. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a good, that's a good TLDR. Yeah. So one, let's talk about AI a bit more and we'll spill the tea on it. Yeah. People, and this could be wrong, but is there a point where we're going to start optimizing for GPT instead of a search engine? And I'll say one more thing. I feel like now, again, I'm not the, the powers that be, but GPT regurgitates a lot what they find from Google or other search engines. Yeah. Do you see do you see us optimizing for GPT instead of search? I can see that maybe down the line for now. I definitely see us optimizing for Google's, I guess, equivalent to GPT that they have right now, which they've been slowly rolling out search generative their search generative experience. So it's kind of like and the way it takes up SERP real estate, it's kind of like a featured snippet, but it is an AI generated version. And there's a lot of novelty there in terms of we don't even have, you know, data on it yet on how it's like, like hard data on it. But there are estimates that it's going to drop search by I think at least 50% within the next three years. So there is a call to, you know, take that into account in how you uh, approach content creation, but also trying to figure out what it would look like to, because currently they keep, there's different iterations that keep rolling out, but currently there are hyperlinks that appear within the search generative experience module. And so the question becomes, what are websites doing to get into those uh, hyperlinked, to, to get that real estate? And so I think for now, there's no way, there's no known way to really optimize for that. I think the best course of action is to continue to try to just optimize for your site in general to make it the best it can be. But yes, I do see a future for sure within the very short term, very short term, where we're actively trying to optimize for those search native experience modules. What about voice search? Because I feel like a few years ago, everybody was like, oh my God, we have to optimize for voice search. And I'm not saying we don't now, but like, especially in B2B, how important is, is it to optimize for voice search? I think it currently it's not really on my radar of things of importance when, when optimizing a website. I think as as search of experience or chat GPT takes hold, users might become accustomed to even more of a colloquial way of searching for mm -hmm. things. And so that I, I could see as being a new way of approaching content, like looking for those longer tailed keywords that are a bit more nuanced or niche. But in terms of voice search itself, it's not something that's been on my my radar, at least within HubSpot for sure. Yeah, I mean, ne neither has mine. I kind of just thought of it as we were talking, but I remember like, everyone was like that. But like, you think about it, like, again, B2B, we're not going to be sitting here telling our phones about it. Like, we're on our, on our computers, yeah. typically. Consumer yeah. stuff, I get, but yeah. like, yeah. And maybe for, like mm. local businesses. Local, maybe. especially. Localization. Yeah. It's a complete yeah. different ballgame. Mm -hmm. 
but to change gears a bit, a bit of a curveball. So I'm going to go back to, so, you know, SEO is an art, but you know what else is an art? Improv. And you've done a lot of improv. I only know this because we still, we follow each other on Instagram. So I want to throw you an improv question. Don't worry though. I'm not going to ask you to do an accent, but, but I will ask you, what similarities are there between performing an improv and creating a successful SEO program? Well, I will say I have been pleasantly surprised by how being an improv, I've been improvising for about five years now. I've been so pleasantly surprised on how it's bled into my professional life. Like, I think it's such an asset. And back to your earlier question on advice for SEOs, take an improv class. I think it helps a lot. Okay. So in terms of an SEO strategy, how that helps for one, one of the core, depending on what teachings of improv you follow. But if you're of the, there's a theater here in Chicago called IO. It's one of the more well-known ones. And one of the things that they preach is yes anding. So accepting the reality of your scene partner and building upon it because you don't want this type of discourse to happen where you're denying the reality of your scene partner and then disrupting the flow of the scene. And I feel like with SEO, you have to have a yes and mindset because you are dealing with so many different stakeholders from so many different backgrounds who have different angles and insights that they can provide. And you never want to shut them down completely and say, well, you're not an SEO. You don't, you can't, you, you don't have the insights that I need for this. You, you want to be open to them because there's a lot of value there. And like, like I said, the relationship between SEOs and, and writers should be a good one, a strong one, because we need each other. And so I think yes, anding is going to help you with your interpersonal relationships, which I don't think people talk about enough with SEO. It's so important because a lot of time, I think there's sometimes a misconception that SEO is this black box or it's like this. We're this, all robots. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's it's not, it, it, it can work when done well. And so you got to instill trust into your stakeholders who might not be privy to that, who might have doubts. And so I think yes, anding and, and, and being able to have a relationship with your stakeholders is really important. And then when you're trying to get buy-in for a strategy, I think improv has helped me bring some levity to these strategic uh, presentations that I do. HubSpot allows me to be really fun with my presentations. I like to do themes. I've done a Spider-Man one before. My favorite one was one I did for Star Wars when, when presenting the EEAT playbook to everyone. Let me hear about that if you can. Because <laughs> So how does Star Wars relate to that? Well, it was just like, so I called it, what did I call it? So the name of the presentation was Serp Wars, Attack of SGE. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just trying to set the stage as to what catalyzed the EEAT playbook and why we thought it was so important. And it really did help, I think, sow this common thread throughout the presentation where it's like, this is something important. And also here's a random gif of Luke Skywalker, you know, like just to keep people engaged in like, cause it's a lot of jargon. It's a lot of acronyms and I didn't want people to just start dozing off. And, and so it was a way to actively keep people engaged throughout the presentation. So yes, I think if you want to, okay. So I think as an SEO, interpersonal relationships are so important with multiple different stakeholders, web development, writers, uh, paid, it's all important. And so yes, anding is, is, is great improv tool to use. And then when you're actually presenting, I think some level, when, when appropriate, some level of levity and, and bravado is, is so, is so nice to just tie everything together. And so, yeah, that's how improv helps. With so that. a few things. So one, love the Star Wars thing. And cause like people could have just been like, eat, eat and like, here's food and stuff like that. But E-E-A-T to me sounds like some kind of ship or bot. Like they have the AT and AT-ATs. They oh, yeah. have the, like, the X, the X wings. X-wing? So, like, yeah. yeah, like, it sounds like it could be, like, some kind of ship or a robot from Star Wars. 
Second, you are actually my second SEO guest who does improv. Uh, so I think there. So Maya Vestafuentes, she runs Flying Cat, um, oh. and SEO International. She she also does improv. We also talked about Yes and. So I think there is something with SEOs and improv. And on Lita B, I will make the blanket statement that the most successful SEOs do improv. Woo! All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a couple on even at HubSpot, and it's just it's a really nice. And what's so fun about it, like not to go on an improv tangent, but well, we can do it. That's why I brought it up. It's like, you know, what's so fun about it that I found is there's no ego. You cannot have an ego. And again, that's what we, we talked about that earlier. Like you can't have an ego when you do SEO. Like you have to be okay with your ego being bruised all the time. And so with improv, that's always the case. Like jokes don't land or you say something that might be misconstrued by the audience. Which would you rather have a blog not ranking or a joke during improv not landing? I, I, I'm going to have to go with the blog because that's another beautiful thing about improv is like as painful as it can be to not have a joke land. The show goes on, the audience forgets and you're, you're like a new baby, like fresh start. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say the blog. Interesting. Plus that's how we know you are so passionate about your, your work that you choose that. Well, Bianca, this was this was so fun. Thank you so yeah. much for catching up with me. This was this made my day. I love seeing you again. I love seeing how much success you are having at HubSpot. HubSpot is lucky to have you. Uh, you. Before we wrap, any anything you want to call out? Any any other thing you'd like to shout out? I always like to give this time. Yeah, I mean, anyone watching who might be going to Brighton SEO uh, in San Diego, I will be speaking there in November. Uh, so. Hit me up. Uh, and that's it. That's it. That's all I have to shout out. Yes. People, get beyond. I want to hear Bianca on more podcasts, more <laughs> panels, more more events, more speaking events. So glad to hear that. Definitely reach out to Bianca. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will see you for another episode of Lead to Be next time. Enjoying Lead to Be? Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews go a long way in supporting me. Thank you so much.